Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Industry Focus. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role best. Post a job today at linkedin.com fool and get $50 off your first job post. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, September 27th, and we're checking in on China. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Motley Fool Premium Analyst Ben Ra with me in the studio. Ben, how's it going? Good. Pretty good. This is my first time here, and I'm I'm excited. Yeah, you are kind of the Motley Fool's resident expert on all things China. You have uh, a, a an overview on China that is very well attended for a lot of our member events. I, I think it's one of the more popular events that we'll put on when we do some of those member meetups. Uh, so you were the natural choice to have on when we were going to be checking in on China today. Mm-hmm. Excited to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Um, so. Why don't we start out just with what has interested you with China? I mean, there have been so many headlines, there have been so many stories, you know, some of it trade war related, uh, some of it related to the stuff going on in Hong Kong mm-hmm. with China. What have you been paying attention to in the region? Um, currently, it's mostly Hong Kong, what's going on in Hong Kong. That's a totally different story. It's going to take a whole other podcast to go into that. So I've been paying a lot of attention on the macro stuff, but also just, you know, the companies. So we're going to talk about the the bad companies today, and um, you know it's it's interesting just to look at what's going on with them uh, because I think they've reached a point of maturity a little bit quicker than uh, people have probably uh, thought in the past. Um, when I look at China generally, as far as the wider uh, market, I see it as a place that's industrially young, but technologically mature. So it's almost as if the U.S., like in the early 20th century, when we were industrially young, we were given like somehow 21st century technology. Just imagine that kind of world. Um, And that's China. China was industrially young, and somehow they got a hold of the most uh, advanced Western technology. Um, And not only that, Western business models. And they're able to apply it on an industrially young not very well developed country. And that's one of the reasons why you can have a company like Alibaba that was able to use Western business models, Western technology, and use it really on, you know, zero competition. Because here in the US, you have an Amazon, and Amazon may may be the most innovative company in the world, but it still has to go against Walmart. And that's like generations of retail experience. Um, in, In China, you don't have that. So I think we're, we're really reaching a point where that technology has spread to a lot of different companies. And you know, it really is a big question mark what's going to happen in the future. I, don't, I definitely don't have the answers, but I'm just looking at the numbers and observing. Yeah, I think one of the frustrations for investors uh, that are looking at China and, and own some Chinese stocks, you know, we talk about a lot of them regularly because so many of them have been great performers over the last five to ten years. That story has changed a little bit if you're looking over the last year, two years or so, and they look at that slowdown. Some of it related to macro factors, some of it related to um, just specific issues within China, and they say like, "All right, where where are the returns? What's going on with these companies?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, so you know, if you look at something like Alibaba, Alibaba, I think out of the the four companies that we're going to talk about, probably has shows the best numbers. The revenue growth is pretty strong. I think 
the commerce growth is at like 40%. But it's still at a stage where um, it's investing. Um, it's reached a point where as far as like the commerce, the core revenues go, it's at a fairly mature state. But they're definitely investing in what they call the new retail. It's pretty exciting, but it's still a question mark how that's really going to go. The thing about Alibaba that uh, we have to understand is that it's, it's really the biggest advertising platform in uh, China. You know, we think of it as a as an e-commerce platform, which is true, um, but it really is an, uh, the core advertising, online advertising platform. Uh, some people have called Amazon here in the U.S. a search engine for advertising, and uh, we kind of see the segmentation going on here where Amazon kind of controls product search. If you're looking for a product, you go direct to Amazon. Um, whereas uh, Google is more like, I guess, like services search. And that kind of segmentation is actually, it's much more net in China where Taobao really is the search engine for products. And even their revenue model is really an advertising. Uh, it's like a Google AdWords model. So you can ask yourself, well, is that really advertising? Is it? Uh, you know? But the thing about, you know, I think the current age is that uh, commerce and marketing have kind of joined. Uh, retail has always had a, an advertising aspect. I mean, if you go to your local supermarket, there's end tables. There's, um, there's, you can, you can, as a, as a brand, you can pay for shelf space. So that's that's marketing, and that's always been part of retail. But I think with especially what you're seeing with Amazon now and with uh, Alibaba, the, the difference between commerce and advertising is really, really difficult to um, to uh, see that difference. Um, so Alibaba has that, but it's going into what it calls uh, new retail. So it's going into the offline, online to offline, where it's using its online capabilities, its logistics combining it with brick-and-mortar uh, retail establishments. They've made a lot of um, acquisitions in that regard. So their their revenues have gone up. Um, out of the, the bats, it's really gone up in the most healthy way. Uh, but its margins have suffered, um, and that's probably going to continue. And it, it kind of is a question mark how it's going to look like going forward. But at the same time, in terms of online to offline retail, new retail, as they call it, they've probably made the most progress uh, than any any company in the world. It seems like this is kind of a perfect example of what you're talking about with taking concepts or business models that have worked in the Western world and bring it there um, with both the vertical integration of logistics and uh, what you're talking about with kind of new retail. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think about that when I look at new spaces for them, like food delivery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they so they made a they acquired uh, they got control of Elema, um, which they they bought from Baidu had a, a fairly big stake in it, which they bought up. Uh, that's an in interesting acquisition because Alibaba, if you compare with Tencent, which we're going to talk about more later, um, Alibaba has more of a presence in the online space, and Tencent has more of a presence in the offline space with their WeChat. A lot of the businesses that use WeChat and, and um, WeChat Pay. So Alipay, this is kind of a generalization. Alipay is more used for online transactions. WeChat Pay more for offline transactions. So definitely, if they want to get into that online to offline, they need that those offline customers. 
And Elema, which is a food delivery business, is one way to get a whole bunch of those um, offline uh, customers. Um, so you do see that um, competition between Alibaba and Tencent. You see it everywhere. But food delivery definitely is one of the places where, where you see that. I'm glad you drew that line there with the different payment uh, services and then you know what they're most often used for. Because I know as an outsider looking in on this market, I'm like, it all sounds very similar. You know, mm-hmm. if you have mobile payments, um, it is kind of akin to a Square Cash app versus Venmo. You know, mm-hmm. and you're trying to figure out who uses what and for what purpose. Yep. Um, you know, having someone that's very well versed in the space <laughs> is obviously super helpful for making that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you want to hit on Baba before we go over the back half of the show? Um, no, that's that's about it there. Um, yep. Okay, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back on the second half of the show, we're going to be talking about a couple more big tech Chinese companies, as well as how people should be thinking about them. Before we get over to that discussion, though, hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. That's where LinkedIn comes in. Everybody knows LinkedIn. It's where I go to keep up with colleagues from past jobs, professors I had in college, even my parents' friends, and I am not the only one. Over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. That's how LinkedIn can make sure your job gets posted to the right people with the right hard skills and soft skills to meet your role requirements. Things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you with the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the right person who will transform your business. And more than 35 million job seekers visit LinkedIn Jobs every month. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. Again, that's linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Um, Okay, so why don't we get back to this discussion talking about Tencent. We name-checked them in the first half uh, and talked a little bit about the payment side of what they do, but that's just a very small portion of Mm -hmm. what's going on with that business. Yeah, um, so the majority of its – well, a big part of its revenues comes from the games. Um, Online gaming is a huge part of their business. And that's been under uh, difficulty at the moment. So the recent numbers that I've seen, the PC client games actually went down 9%. Um, Overall games revenues went up only 8%. So it's under difficulty, um, mainly because of uh, government regulation. So I think one thing we definitely have to understand about China is that the Chinese government do take a very uh, um, hard interest in... um, What's going on with their their youths? Um, with so if they de- if they do see something like addiction with gaming, uh, they're going to step down on that. And you know, in the U.S., I think we kind of have a tendency to sort of think that you know the regulatory risk is it's there, but you know we really don't see companies that completely die out because of regulatory risk. There may be a couple, but it's not. It's not as common as we see in in China, but it's definitely possible in China for the government to crack down, even on a company as big as Tencent, if they do feel like gaming addiction is a huge problem. And they have uh, done that to some extent. For example, they have one of their major games was uh, PUBG, which was uh, recently canceled. 
And uh, they came out with a replacement game, which I believe they call like the game for peace or something. It's like a, a socialist um, uh, replacement for this this um, fighting game, basically. And it's supposed to be less uh, less violent. You know, when the when the players die, instead of blood spurting out, you see them like flying off into heaven. That's an elegant rebranding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's. It's really a question mark whether it's it's still gonna um, succeed going forward, mm. um, and I do see that as a risk. And the numbers definitely show that the, the revenues have slowed down. That being said, of course there's there's WeChat, um, and WeChat is what a lot of uh, U.S. investors have been looking at. It's something that if you're living in China, it's something that you really can't do without. You know, it's food delivery, it's social media, it's it's like PayPal, Twitter, all of these uh, combined. And um, what Tencent has been trying to do over the last year is basically a huge business reorganization. They started in um, about a year ago, actually, to do this, where probably because of uh, the slowdown with games, because of the regulatory risk, they're turning more into an enterprise-facing company. So they're looking at advertising, they're looking at cloud, and they want to use that huge user base of WeChat um, for advertising revenues and also for e-commerce. Um, you may have heard of many programs. It's a pretty interesting um, uh, innovation where it's basically like an app within the WeChat universe that can that has some Shopify-like features, so e-commerce features. Um, so all of that, you know, definitely has possibility. There is competition from companies like ByteDance. So ByteDance, you may have heard of TikTok, which is a super annoying app that you may see here. <laughs> people, people under the age of fifteen would disagree with you. Uh, yeah, I've <laughs> I've tried using it just to get an experience of it, and as a thirty-six-year-old man, it's almost impossible to use for me. <laughs> but it's it's really popular and. You know, at the end of the day, companies are fighting for share of time spent, and ByteDance in, in China has been uh, taking uh, some of that share. At the same time, Tencent is not purely uh, the metric is not purely time spent. It's it's more of the functionality of WeChat, and I think that's that's not going to go away. Um, so, generally speaking, I'm I'm pretty positive. On Tencent, um, the online advertising—that's something that they were kind of hyping up. It's kind of slowed. Yeah, well, some of that's related to regulation as well. You know, yeah. a lot of these businesses, um, as China has become much more aware of the products that were being advertised, particularly in the healthcare and supplement space, mm -hmm. have decided they're going to regulate that industry a bit more. And I think it's bitten a lot of these companies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really uh, hit everyone. Um, but it's got Tencent has so many moving parts. I mean, there's Tencent Video, which is uh, one number one, number two with uh, with iQIYI, which is um, majority controlled by Baidu, so that's that's uh, there's a bunch of possibility there. There's also its venture capital uh, investments. So Tencent, in a way, is kind of I mean, people have called it the Chinese SoftBank. So they have they own stakes in like Spotify. They own I think a five percent stake in Tesla. They're just buying stakes all over the world, and also. 
in China itself. So if you're if you're a startup with an amazing idea, it's it's a there's a pretty good chance that uh, Tencent is going to get a get a piece of you, um, especially because of WeChat. WeChat is almost its entire almost an entire universe by itself. Yeah, so, Tencent seems like it's almost in that too big to fail category for for tech. Yeah, I I think it's definitely there. So in terms of um, the stability of its revenues, like uh, you know the risk that it's going to go away, I think that's I think that's very very minimal. When we were doing our prep for the show, you said that Baidu was probably uh, one of the more interesting ones out there to watch. I think Baidu, when you think about it, may be the most important of the bets for U.S. investors to look at. When you look at Baidu, it's really valued as a classic value stock. So you're talking about $36 billion of market cap. I think net cash right around $10 billion. So the company really, if you take out the excess cash, is really selling for about $26 billion. And right around like 10 times earnings at that level. So it's really a value stock. The, the growth definitely has slowed. So the question is, has it really reached a point of maturity? I know they're investing in autonomous driving. Uh, they want to be a leader in artificial intelligence. So a lot of funds are going into these sort of moonshot, um, moonshot projects. Um, but it's a question of when a Chinese company reaches maturity, when companies are probably expected to return capital in some fashion, whether it's dividends or buying back shares, um, what is Baidu going to do? Um, so going forward, it's going to be an important for U.S. investors, and it's going to teach uh, U.S. investors a lot of lessons. Is Baidu going to do what's best for uh, investors, or is it just going to keep on pouring money into whatever projects they, f- they see fit? Um, yeah, so, so I think it's interesting because when you hear narratives like the middle class is expanding dramatically in China, um, theoretically, you have more purchasing power, you have more disposable income, all these things. You assume that a lot of the businesses where most of that money is going to go to are still going to be in hyper-growth mode. Mm-hmm. And based on what you've said so far, it sounds much more to me like they are in a similar place to where maybe the Amazons, Googles, and Apples of the world are now, where you shouldn't be expecting these stocks to be putting up 30% returns uh, you know, each year because uh, they're fairly mature. Yeah, um, I think that's definitely the case with Baidu. Um, we talked earlier about how t- um, Alibaba sort of dominates product search, and there's that segmentation between product search and services search that Baidu, that's really their world. So it's more limited, I think, for Baidu in terms of its growth prospects of purely its search advertising business. And it's definitely looking for other ways to expand. They're not doing the whole, you know, they're, they are buying other companies, but it's not it's much more strategic. So it's much more focused on the AI and the autonomous driving. I think they recently, they opened up these robo-taxis. Uh, I forget exactly which, which city they opened it up, but uh, uh, they do have um, a lot of good technology. 
So we'll see. Yeah, and I think they just came out of nowhere in the smart speaker market too. Mm. I don't know if you've been following that story at all, but no. they went from like not even being on the map to being in the top three in yeah. shipments this most recent quarter. Mm. And so they're clearly making those smart home investments too. You know, yeah. the the other companies that are there, no surprise, Amazon and Google. So yeah. all these companies are very much starting to look like each other. Sure. Um, why don't we wrap up talking about JD.com? I think this is a company that has faced a lot of scrutiny over the last year or so. Yeah, um, JD.com is really interesting. It's still mainly a first-party e-commerce retailer. So it's still a company that takes inventory risks, buys up inventory, and sells it. And when you ask yourself, how many e-commerce companies in the world um, are first-party e-commerce retailers and also are making a profit or, in general, are successful? I can't really name very many. Um, and JD.com is still, uh, it's still in that model. They're building the third-party marketplace. Um, but the first-party uh, side of the business is really price competitive. A big part of it is electronics, which is a very competitive um, industry in China. There's competitors like Suning, for instance, which was recently uh, acquired or partially acquired by um, Alibaba. So there's a lot of competition in the electronics computers uh, space where they really haven't made any profits. So they recently just made um, an operating uh, profit, which, I mean, people have compared JD.com to Amazon, but Amazon made an operating profit back in 2001. I don't think they stopped making an operating profit since then. Also, Amazon has Amazon Web Services. Yes, which Very is different. a you know thirty five percent margin business. Yes, absolutely. And JD.com really doesn't have that, and so they're really banking on their third party business, uh, plus something to do with their logistics, whether they can sell it and those kind of services to um, a third party. Um, and yeah, that's that's very much a question mark. Um, so. I would say um, if I were to choose between JD.com and Alibaba, I would definitely have to choose Alibaba, even though Alibaba is so much bigger. And of the four that we've talked about today, which one's top of your list? Um, I would still say it's Alibaba and Tencent. Um, Maybe Tencent is slightly ahead. But um, yeah, those two, I think think they're definitely in the – well, maybe not definitely because you can't say that, but and they're <laughs> somewhat in the too big to fail category, as you said. And, uh, you know, something like WeChat, I just can't see it going away anytime soon. Maybe the time spent could go down, but as far as like the, the value in terms of the daily life of people, I just see that being quite strong in the future. With all these stocks becoming seemingly more mature businesses, possibly getting to the point where they're thinking about. Uh, either buying back shares or dividend programs, the types of things that more mature businesses tend to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds to me like if you're looking for really big growth, you got to go with smaller companies in China. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, there's a lot of exciting companies that are coming out in China. Um, we'll may- have we'll have you on yeah. again to, to yeah. talk about all of that. How about that, Ben? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, thanks for hopping on today's show. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Listeners, uh, that'll do it for this episode of Industry Focus. 
If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. I also want to give a shout out to the Smarter, Happier, and Richer contest that we are currently running over on Instagram. If you go to our Instagram page, The Motley Fool Official, you will see a picture of Fool Swag. Go answer the trivia question there and tag a friend, and you can be entered to win a Fool hat, shirt, and signed copies of The Motley Fool Investment Guide. Like I said, just head over to our Instagram page to check that out. And if you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out videos from the podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Ben Ra, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.